0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Alright, well if you have a Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 24. As we begin... In verse 36, and I'll share just kind of five words with you. um, Proving, preaching, powering, partying, and praising. And look, we read in verse 36. It says, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, again, we're picking it up in the middle of the story. And we know that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And uh, what he's kind of doing now at this juncture in the Gospel of Luke is he's going around. He's appearing to his disciples. He's proving that he's alive. Last week, we studied about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who made a U-turn back to Jerusalem after they walked and talked with Jesus. When Jesus revealed himself to them, they, with an urgency, brought back the good news that Jesus is alive. So when they arrived in Jerusalem, they found out that Jesus had also appeared to Peter. And so, man, they're just talking, you know, there they are all together discussing the things with all those who are gathered Together, and then we read here in verse 36 that as they were talking, as they said these things, that Jesus Himself just boom, He appeared in their midst. And as He appears to them, He says, Peace to you. Now, this is a typical Jewish greeting. Uh, you guys know the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom, right? And so it's a typical Jewish greeting, but at the same time, we know nothing with Jesus is typical, right? I mean, not only does he want to say hi, you know, to them, but he also wants them to have something. He wants us to have something. He wants us to have peace. The Greek word for peace, it means tranquility of state and soul of assured of its salvation through Christ. You know, when there's that tranquility of your soul, you know, or is that peace within, that's what Jesus wants us to have. Not just a piece of peace, but a perfect peace. And how can we have a perfect peace? Well, we can have that peace when we know we're saved. You know, when we know we're forgiven. When we know we're free. When we know He is alive, man. And when we know that one day when you and I die, we're going to be alive. We are alive now. But sadly, we read in verse 37, that they were not a peaceful men at this time. It says they were terrified and they were frightened. That Greek scholar A.T. Robertson said that both of these terms speak of a strong fear. They were greatly afraid. And, you know, this might be just because Jesus, you know, suddenly appeared to them. You know how that is sometimes when somebody scares you, you're going around the corner. And some of your versions here, if you have the NIV, and LT, it says startled. That That might be why they were, like, really afraid. But I have a feeling it's more than that, you know, because this whole, if you think about this whole thing, you know, as the pieces are just, just starting to come together of this crazy puzzle. As you know, the proof is just beginning to be formed in the pudding, you know, this whole experience that they're going through is something that you and I We'll never understand. We've never been there, right? I mean, it's a unique experience to see someone die like that and then to see them suddenly live like this. It was just, it wasn't at first an easy thing. And then even if you did see someone who died like that and is now living like this, you know, you might be thinking like, what are they? Are they an alien? Are they a ghost? Are they an angel? Is it a phantom? I mean, you're you're tripping out. You're wondering like exactly What is this whole thing, right? And so we read here the Lord just comes and he appears and they're afraid. As a matter of fact, notice what it says right there in verse 38. He said to them, Why are you troubled? The word troubled right here is the Greek word tarasso. It means to cause one inward commotion, to take away his calmness of mind, to disturb, to disquiet, make restless. The Lord just says, man, I don't get it. Now, you know, the Lord is so gracious and he's going to minister to them. And obviously he comes to them and he appears to them. But I'll tell you what, man, the Lord expects more from them. And I I really think it's important for us to understand that he expects more from us as well. We we shouldn't be a people who are afraid. We shouldn't be a people who are, are troubled. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God available to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And even though we go through things in life that we just don't understand, we got to rest in the fact that He does. And we must rest in the fact that all the things that we're experiencing in life, even though we just don't see how in the world God could ever use this for good, He will and He does. And we really have to have that heart. Don't be afraid, don't be terrified, don't be troubled. As a matter of fact, it's real interesting. The Lord had told them that just a few days earlier. In John chapter 14, in verse 1, the Lord said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said in John chapter 14, verse 27, same Greek word, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, when we get all freaking out and we're afraid and we're troubled, it's because we don't believe in Him. When we allow ourselves to be troubled, it's because we find ourselves in that place where we are permitting our heart. Jesus said, "Don't, don't let your heart be troubled. But here we find them. And again, we can identify this like us so many times, not listening to the direct, clear commands of the Lord. And here they are just, you know, finding themselves in that place of fear and trouble. And so the Lord in his grace, although he expects more from us, he'll minister to us. He comes to them and he gives them three things. We're going to see three things To prove he's alive. Number one is his flesh. Number two will be food. And number three will be the fulfillment of the scriptures. First thing is is the flesh. Look at verse 39. Jesus says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. I mean, you know, we're going to see this whole thing unfold, and it's pretty interesting. And the Lord says, I'm really alive. Let me prove it to you. And he says, touch me, man. Uh, And this word handle, it's a real interesting word. It means to handle with a view to investigation. That's the way Kenneth Weiss translates this word. To handle with a view to investigation. You know just in case you 're wondering, because here we are reading about what happened back then, just in case you 're wondering, did they really touch Jesus and handle his body? And the answer is yes, they handled his body, they investigated his body it wasn 't just an illusion or a phantom or a spirit or a ghost or some cosmic appearance. it really was Jesus Christ right? risen from the dead as a matter of fact it 's kind of interesting when you put all the gospels together, you find out that Thomas. You know, wasn't there the first time, that first Sunday. Um, And so when they told him, they said, hey, we saw the Lord, man, and it's so cool. We touched him and we ate with him. And remember what Thomas said in John chapter 20, verse 25, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and unless I put my finger into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, the Bible says, the disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he just stood in their midst and he said, Peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas then answered, My Lord and my God. You see... In one sense, we are kind of like a jury, you guys. Have you guys ever done jury duty? And you go to jury duty, and maybe you weren't there when whatever it was was done. But you listen to the testimony of the witnesses. And when you listen to the testimony of the witnesses, especially the eyewitnesses, we are then responsible to make a decision. And the same is true when it comes to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that the evidence from the witnesses is an evidence that is empirical and true. You see, in one sense, we're a jury on Jesus and we're reading about the witnesses. And we see here in our study that they weren't just these gullible, naive, easily convinced guys that were delusional. They wanted proof that he really did rise from the dead. And so this proof, would then give them peace. The Lord says, touch me. Handle my flesh with a view to investigation and you'll see it's really me. It is, he said it is me, it is I myself. It really was him. Not only his flesh, secondly, the food. Look, it says in verse 41, but while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of raw fish and some honeycomb. And he ate it. He took it and ate in their presence. The Lord just says, hey, you got any food? And you guys know, it wasn't because he was hungry. That's not the real reason, right? There's another reason. Because they're still there. They're still not really believing. I mean, they're happy, but they're still not really believing. It's just hard to put into words it's almost hard to interpret there in verse 41 things are happening so vast they're joyful but they're still doubtful they're thinking but it's just not sinking deep down inside and so the lord he just gives them a little bit more evidence i want you to know that i'm really here that i'm not a ghost i'm not a phantom i'm not an illusion do you have any food and they said well we've got some fish and so he ate the fish and then they gave him dessert right the honeycomb and he ate the honeycomb and they're like wow you <laughs> He really is, and this would be evidence as a matter of fact, later in the gospel of john twenty one ten through thirteen Jesus cooked up some breakfast, remember that, and undoubtedly he ate with his disciples. Peter referred to this as proof later in acts ten forty and forty one Bible says him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly not to all people but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us, listen, who ate and drank with him." After he rose from the dead. This was proof that Jesus was alive. We see his flesh and he eats his food. But then foremost, it is the fulfillment of scripture. Because we read in verse 44, and then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And in the end, you guys, the bottom line is this was really all that was required. This should have been enough proof. The hundreds of prophecies, the simple fact that All this was written of him, his vicarious death, his victorious resurrection. Jesus said, man, I told you all this, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And the Jewish mentality, that's the whole Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. He had told them this over and over again. Remember, if you go back to Luke chapter 18, In verse 31, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished or fulfilled. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. Then they will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. You know, the Lord told them, and I've told you before. But what happens? You know, we're not listening. And again, this is a quick side note. I think this is a principle of scripture that would be worthy of our meditation. That you know, the Lord. Uh, how many times is He speaking to you, and you find yourself in a dilemma? You find yourself in a situation that you just don't know what's going on, and you find yourself you're depressed. You're in a valley. You're distressed, and the reason is you were not listening. The Lord, I believe, prepares us for every valley. That's why we always must be listening to the Lord. We've we got to make sure that we have our quiet time with God. It's there in our quiet time with the Lord that God speaks to us. And He tells us things to come. You know, but here again, we see this example of the disciples. They weren't listening. But the Lord reiterates the fact, I told you that it's it's all about me in the Old Testament. Now, back in Luke 24, last week, we went over the fact that when Jesus, you know, was with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that he gave them a Bible study and he told to them and it explicitly says he expounded the scriptures to them. And then they were like, wow, our hearts are burning when he was talking to us. Right now here in Luke 24, we don't read it that he expounded to them. We do read this in verse 45 that he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. The word opened, it means to open thoroughly what had been formally closed. Their understanding, it speaks of the faculties of perception and reason, a capacity for spiritual truth. And the comprehension speaks of things being put together, uh, kind of joined together in the mind and that's what ends up happening you guys in our life you know as as we you know face these truths and as we're reading this bible it requires a miracle for us to really really follow through remember last week we read that the lord opened their eyes the lord opened their eyes if the lord doesn't open your eyes you're not going to even see what the bible says you will have no illumination But the Lord opens your eyes for what's called illumination. Here we read about Him opening their understanding. It must be a miracle. It must be the Lord opening our understanding for interpretation. Without the Lord, and as we read this book, and there might be some of you here today, you're not really interested in the Bible, you think it's boring. You don't read it on your own because you don't get it. Well, the only reason anyone would not get it, it's not a biological comprehension problem. It's a spiritual problem. Maybe you don't really know the Lord. Maybe you're not really saved. If you are not hungry for God's word, I would question your salvation. You can always tell when the fish are going to die in your tank, huh? they don't want to eat. (laughs) It happens to people when they're about to die. They don't want to eat. And if you're here and you don't want God's word, then there's a there's a there's a good question mark whether or not you really know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know this, that when you know the Lord and you love the Lord, you are hungry for his word. You know, but maybe you're not experiencing that miracle because it does take a miracle every single time. And I think a lot of times we take for granted, you know, that the Lord opens our eyes for illumination. He opens our understanding for interpretation. And then he opens, if you read the book of Acts chapter 16 with Lydia, the Bible says that, that God opened her heart, that she would take heed to the things that were spoken by Paul. And so the Lord opens our eyes for illumination, He opens our understanding for interpretation, and He opens our heart for application. Without God being in the middle of our Bible study, nothing will happen. We won't see, we won't understand, and we will never become a doer of God's Word. But here we see how dependent we are and how when we study the Bible, we must come and study the Bible without sin, without doubt. Without, you know, a self-reliance or self-confidence that says, you know what, I know what that says already. No, it's got to be an interaction where God, God speaks to you. And that's exactly what the Lord does here. It's such a beautiful thing. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And I don't know for sure. I don't know if he gave them a Bible study then. He probably did. But maybe it was just all the passages they had read since they were a little boy. You know, some of you here, maybe you're wondering whether or not your children, you know, are going to ever get it. But maybe when they were little, you gave them the word and they're growing up and you gave them the word and maybe they drift away. But you want to know something that's still there in their hearts. And one day when Jesus opens their understanding, all the things that they've learned, learned ever since they were a little boy, it'll always, it'll just all kind of come together. You know, I don't know, maybe it was all the things that Jesus had told them, the, the, the three years in ministry, It just all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like a light just turned on. And they understood. Wow. It's like the Bible says in Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Psalm 110, Psalm 118, all the messianic psalms and just all the scriptures about Jesus. It just kind of all came together for them. And it's the way it is with the word. Job chapter thirty three, verse sixteen says, And he opens the ears of men, and he seals their instruction. See, God does the work. In Psalm one nineteen, eighteen, the Bible says, Open my eyes and I may see wondrous things from your law. And then first John five twenty it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding, that we may know Him who is true. See, it's all the Lord, you guys. Some of you here, uh, and I talk to people, and it's kind of funny, after a Bible study, some people will come up and they'll want to talk about Burger King, right? And uh, after a Bible study, some people will come up and they'll want to talk about the King of Kings, right? And so you can kind of tell a lot of times, not always, but where people are, and it's so cool when you sometimes you talk to somebody and they're like, you know what, it was so cool how the Lord said that and how this ministered to me and things about the Word And then you just know when that happens, I I take absolutely no credit for that. Then you just know that it was a miracle that took place. Because when people really, they, they, they hear the word of the Lord, it's God. It's totally a miracle. Because before I got saved, I read my whole Bible. It didn't make any sense to me because I was dead. But then when I got saved, everything changed. See, He will open your understanding and He will give you comprehension. And so that whole section of Him proving He's alive, it should give us peace, right? That we, one day when we die, will be alive because He's alive, right? And so at first we see about this whole proving. Then we move into preaching. Because look what it says in verse 47. It says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Now, in the Greek language, this is still part of the prophecy that Jesus would die, rise again, ascend into heaven, and that his followers would preach the gospel to all nations and that people from all nations would one day be followers of the true and living God. And what the Lord says right here is, this is exactly what I've called you as witnesses to do. The Greek word is that word keruso, and it means to proclaim after the manner of a herald. This word right here, keruso, always carries with it a certain formality and authority and gravity. And I want to share with you guys, and I pray that this is very clear That it's not just that guy who is ordained as a preacher who is a preacher. That if you're a Christian and if you have the keys of truth and salvation, if you know Jesus, then you also are called to be a preacher. Someone who has that authority, someone who has that responsibility, someone who has that gravity is a formality to it. And that's why you can't just wait until someone throws the opportunity on your lap. What kind of Christian is that? That's not a caring Christian. Another thing I've learned is that when you get saved, not only do you have a hunger for God's word, you have a passion for the lost. And if you don't have a passion for the lost, then you are lost. I've learned that as a Christian, man, that you're just always wondering, Lord, do they know you? Lord, do they know you? And your heart just goes out to family members and neighbors and strangers and everybody you meet. And that's why, you know, we have to see that in this last chapter, as God's about to close, what some would consider the greatest book in the world, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. That he sets before us, first of all, the proving that he's alive. And then secondly, the preaching, the responsibility that we have. He says to go out and to share with everybody this simple message of repentance and remission of sins. And, you know, that's why you got to listen, you know, to these guys. Some of these guys on TV, they're not real preachers. You want to know why we know they're not real preachers? Because they never talk about sin. They can't say it's, uh, it's sin, right? They don't talk about hell. They don't talk about repentance. But Jesus said that when you go out and you preach to all the nations and you want people to get saved, you have to talk about repentance, which is the true turning away from your sin. If you're here today and you're living with your boyfriend and girlfriend, and you still think that you're running with the Lord, you're not. You need to repent of your sin. A lot of times people that are living together, they say, well, there's no other way we can make it financially. Oh, yes, there is. There's a God who will provide for you. You've got to take a step of faith. Somebody's got to get out of the house. You're here today and you say you're a Christian, but you're still living in sexual sin. You don't know the Lord one day. You're going to die without Jesus. That's the truth. You're here today, you're still getting high. You're still getting drunk. You're still a liar, you're still a cheater. You're still filled with, flooded with pride. You don't know God. I'm not saying that we're not struggling at times as Christians, but if you're still, you know, embracing your sin and harboring sin in your heart, if you're still here today, you know, and you know what, you're playing games with sin and pornography, whatever the case may be, I got to tell you this, man, that you have no assurance. Why are you gambling with your soul? Let go of those things. Repent of those things, because that's the message. He says... That this message of repentance and then remission of sins. Oh, I want to be forgiven. Yeah, everybody wants to be forgiven. But you won't be forgiven unless you repent. And the word uh, remission is a beautiful word of forgiveness. The word remission, it speaks of release from bondage or imprisonment. I mean, how many people do you know today who are incarcerated? And, you know, and this is an example, I mean, how you would love for them to get out of jail. Well, that's kind of the way it is spiritually. When we repent of our sins and we receive the remission of our sins, the Lord gets us out of jail. He gets us out of bondage. He gets us out of that place of penalty, even so much so to the point that he would treat us as if we've never committed those sins. And that's why in the book of Acts 13, 38, the Bible says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached the forgiveness of sins. That's what our country needs most. Our country needs the forgiveness of our sins. That's what we need. That's what you need. That's what I need. Right? Because sin does what? It separates us from God. It separates us from fellowship with Him. It separates us from living with Him. We need the forgiveness. God, help me. Wash me. Cleanse me. That's why I love Psalm 130. In verse 3, it says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? I mean, all of us here. A lot of you guys here are really, really bad sinners. But we're all sinners, Right? And if God should mark iniquity, if God was there and saying, oh, well, it's still on Manny's account. Who could stand? Nobody could stand, right? But the Bible says there is forgiveness with you. And you know what interesting thing? It says that you may be feared. When I think of how God has washed away my sins, oh, man, it should really bring a place of reverence and awe and fear. And when God forgives, he's not like us, God forgets. Isn't that cool? One guy said this, when God pardons, he consigns the offense to everlasting forgetfulness. Don't go out and sin so that you can say, well, God will forgive me because there's consequences of forgiving sin. But I want you to know that in Christ, and this is a message that we have to go out and preach in the highways and byways, in the valleys and alleys. Is that people should repent of their sins. Receive Christ. And they will receive remission of their sins. The Lord says right there in verse 48. And you are witnesses of these things. And that's all they were. And that's all we are. They were witnesses. They were eyewitnesses. They walked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They heard his teachings. They wrote down his teachings. They saw him die. They saw all their hopes buried in a grave. But then they saw him again. And then they touched him. They handled him with a view to investigation. They ate food with him. And then their eyes were open, their minds were open, their hearts were open to the fulfillment of all the Old Testament passages. They were witnesses. And if we can receive their witnesses as a jury, make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, then it's so cool. Then we become witnesses. And we just go out like the Bible says, all we can speak is what we've seen and heard. So many of you here have seen the power of God who healed your life. All you got to do is tell people. You've seen the Lord in the word, and you've seen what he's done. And you read the Bible, and that's all it is about them being witnesses. Acts 2.32, we are all witnesses. Acts 3.15, of which we are witnesses. Acts 4.20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts 5.32, we are his witnesses. Acts 10.39, and we are his witnesses. 1 Peter 5.1, Peter says, I'm a witness. And 2 Peter 1.16, I'm an eyewitness of his majesty. And that's what witnessing is. That's all we are. As I said earlier, we're all in one sense, a jury listening to the testimony of the wealth of witnesses. And then we then make a decision as to whether or not we will be a disciple. But once we become a disciple, then our eyes are opened and our ears are opened and we see the Lord and we know the Lord and we experience the Lord to a certain degree. And then we become witnesses as well. And so the Lord says, okay, you know, and he starts pointing his hands on you and laying his hands on you. And and he says, okay, now I want you to go out. You, 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 you. And I want you to change the world. I want you to go out. I want you to be vessels to save the whole wide world. Because that's what God wants to do. 2 Peter 3 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so you're like, Lord, how can we make a difference? And so the Lord says in verse 49 Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. See, there's a proving. There's a preaching, and there's an empowering. And all this is necessary for us to understand the gospel. The Lord says, uh, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem. And that might be a little difficult. You know, especially when you look at the chronology of things, don't you find was that Jesus had actually um, appeared to them after he died for 40 days. And so it was eventually... You know, after a few days, man, you know, you're like thoroughly convinced. Wow, it's real. He's alive. I want to get out there and I want to start preaching. And the Lord says, don't, don't go anywhere yet. Yeah, now you're convinced I'm alive and now you know the scriptures. is cool, but you still don't have what's required of you. You still need power in your life. And so the Lord says, tarry in Jerusalem. The word tarry, it means to sit and to spend some time in a certain place. Now we know they weren't just sitting. We know according to Acts chapter 1 that they were praying. And as they're there, they're tarrying, they're praying. We know in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit came. And I would just say to you this, that we don't need necessarily a repetition of Pentecost, but we do need an appropriation of Pentecost. You know, we don't necessarily need, you know, to see that thing repeated. But what we find to do is we need to really take access of that. And and I would just like to say to you that I think a lot of us, a lot of us, we need to tarry as well. You know, not necessarily for 10 days in a room, but maybe, maybe, maybe 10 minutes on your face. Maybe a little longer, maybe an hour, maybe two. But all I know is that we're sitting down and you're just really seeking the Lord. You know, for them, it would be, would be before they go out into their mission. But for me, I think it's every single day of my life. I cannot go out into the world. I can't. Unless I first tarry. I say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, wash me. Lord, I can't face you know my wife or my kids or, or anybody. Unless first you fill me with your power. Because otherwise what ends up happening, we start going out on our own strength. And you might be, you know, all that, but you're not all that. I don't care who you are. You need the Lord, right? And so we tarry for a bit and the Lord just fills us with his love and his Holy Spirit. And what we find as we read the Bible is there are are three places the Holy Spirit can be in relationship with mankind. Number one, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And that's something that you read about before an individual is saved. You know, the Holy Spirit starts saying, hey, you know what? You shouldn't be getting high. Before you had no conviction. Now you do. You should start going to church. You know, you should start reading your Bible. You should start praying. And all of a sudden you're getting convicted. That's the Holy Spirit with you. Then when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in you. And you become the temple of God, the Bible says. And it's so cool, Ephesians chapter 1, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But then, even subsequent to that, there's more that the Bible clearly teaches. And that is the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's three Greek prepositions. It's para, en, and then epi. And that's what Jesus is speaking about right here. As a matter of fact, when you read John fourteen seventeen, Jesus said, The Spirit of truth, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, But you know him, for he dwells with you. And Jesus said, Will be, future tense, will be in you. And so we read in John chapter 20, verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Just like the Lord breathed on man when he first made man and gave him life, he breathed on him and he received the Holy Spirit. That's what they did in John chapter 20, verse 22. But now there's more. God says, you still don't have enough. He says, Terry in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then, then you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Maybe that's why you're not witnessing. Maybe that's what's lacking in your life, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'll I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people, I have a list of people that I pray for every day, and you want to know what I pray, and the Lord knows what I mean by this. But I pray this for them that they would catch a fire. That Lord, they would be on fire for you. And you know, you, you know, just without knowing the Bible, you would say that's weird, man. Don't you love them? You know, <laughs> and you want them to burn. But you know, we know we know what that means. Because isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what John said? John said, you know what? I I'm coming and. You know, bottom line is the Messiah is coming after me. I'm not worthy to unfasten his sandals, but I can baptize you with water. Ain't a thing I can, you know, do that physical thing, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Whose sandals shall I not worthy to lose and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's the power that we need. In Luke chapter 11, he just says, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking. In the book of Proverbs, it says, turn at my rebuke, and surely I will pour my spirit on you. In Ephesians 5.18, says, be filled with the spirit, under the influence. And that's what we need. Here we see all these words, the proving, right, the preaching, the empowering, And then the parting in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them. That he was parted from them. And carried up into heaven. And we have here the ascension of Jesus. Again, 40 days after the resurrection. And the Lord goes up. And what does the Bible say in Mark chapter 16 verse 19. Then after the Lord had spoken to them. He was received up into heaven sat down at the right hand of God. And there he is, interceding for us. There he is, right? Our advocate. He parted. And so he kind of lives with us now in the Holy Spirit. But literally, physically, there's a difference. And one day we will be reconciled. Isn't that going to be cool? With Jesus. I'm I'm looking forward to that. And so, in the end, we read here. It says in verse fifty-two, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. And just in case you're wondering if Jesus is God, oh man, let me tell you, He is. One of the reasons we know He is is because they often worshipped Him. In Matthew two eleven, they worshipped Him. In Mark, Matthew chapter eight verse two the leper came and worshipped him. In Matthew 14, 13, the disciples worshipped him. In Matthew 28, 9, the women who saw him resurrected worshipped him. And even in heaven, Revelation 5, verse 14, the Bible says, the four living creatures said, Amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him. And so Jesus is God, definitely worthy of our worship. In closing, few, few places we find them That I think it's good for us to maybe, you know, note as we finish the Gospel of Luke. I want to encourage you to tarry. Tarry in Jerusalem. And just have those times of quietness with the Lord where you really seek his face with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But then there's those times where you're continually in the temple. Continually in the temple. You know, some people complain, I got to go to church once a week, every week, yeah. Or some of them complain, man, we're going to go cycle and go twice a week, yeah. And some people go three times a week. You know, when I first got saved, I was there every day. And I'm still kind of here every day, you know. Continually in the temple, there's nothing wrong with that. If God calls you, praise God. We need... The times where we tarry in Jerusalem, that quiet place along with the Lord. And we need these times as a church. Where we gather together and we're continually in the temple praising God. But it doesn't end there. There's also those times where we just balance this whole thing out. And the Lord says, you go into all the world. Huh? And we're out there hitting the streets, man. And telling the people who are just as lost as a lizard, man, that they need Jesus. See, God wants us to to be fishers of men, okay and and remember that you know, and God will use your life to help them, but you know when you catch fish, it's kind of like this: God says, "You catch the fish, I'll clean them okay, <laughs> you catch them, I'll clean them, and that's what God wants for our life. you know when we bring people the message, and it's so cool to see that the Lord sees you as His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's nothing that a pastor can do, a teacher can do without the Lord that would benefit anyone. You are His. And it's so cool to see when the Lord does the work in your life. And so I pray we would know He's alive and you and I would then go and tell the whole wide world that Jesus Christ is alive. Father, we thank You for allowing us to study Your Word and as we kind of close with uh, the example of the disciples, when they saw you were risen, Lord, um, we know that Luke then kind of moves his way into the book of Acts. And it's just the way it should be, Lord, that actions should follow. And so help us first to see what you've done and, and then to see what we need to do in response. And Lord, as we partake of communion together today, I pray that we would all search our hearts, Lord. I pray there would be no, uh, no liars here. Lord, I pray that we would be real and honest and broken before you. Because I know, Lord, that the work will never be real until we are. And so, Lord, we just want to yield ourselves to you today. And I pray if there is anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, as we partake of communion, right where you're at, it's real simple. All you have to do is turn from your sin and say, Lord, I'm done with my life. I'm done. I repent today. And I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. You can say that to the Lord right where you are. And I know, there's no doubt, that He will write your name in the book of life. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte, at air code 626-454. Three, four, one, four. Remember that Jesus loves you.